Hey guys, just a quick note before everything kicks off here. Um, we have decided to break this episode into two parts. Um, we were super thrilled uh, to have Marilyn uh, on board for this and our discussion. It went for a while. It was so much fun to talk about this subject, um, but we decided to break it into two parts. Uh, so this first one will be coming out today, of course, and a week from today, not two weeks, we'll be releasing the second part. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Hope you enjoy the episode. everyone, and welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. Uh, so for tonight's episode, I'm super thrilled uh, because I have a very special guest uh, joining me tonight, um, Marilyn from the Beyond Bending podcast. Hi. Oh my gosh. This is, <laughs> to be honest, this is my first um, podcast special guest feature so i'm still a podcast noob and so this i'm very excited this is oh thank you colin for inviting me to be on your podcast of course yeah uh so just like some background for like the listeners and everything um i was actually like looking for different like avatar podcasts to listen to and i found Marilyn's like a couple months ago i felt like and uh so Her show is doing kind of like going uh, sequentially through the series and they're going episode by episode uh, discussing everything. And uh, I just like loved what you guys were doing. And that's why uh, we're like so excited to get to connect. And, uh, you know, honestly, like when I did the podcast 10 years ago, it was actually in response to another podcast that I was listening to called From the Spirit World. Um, and I remember listening to it at the time and I was like, okay, this is cool. But I, I, at the time was like, I really, I have some great avatar friends on like the forum that I was a part of. I really want to like, you know, talk with them and do our own thing. And it kind of became like a competitive atmosphere because like the other podcasts kind of like felt like we were encroaching on their territory. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And it became this kind of whole thing. And honestly, it's like what I have learned from just like the work that I've done in video production and especially like the I I work like in I do wedding films and like the wedding community up here where I live in Maine has really taught me something important about just like when you are in a shared community of like a shared profession or similar type of genre or whatever it's so much better to like kind of lift everyone up at the same time and not get competitive because we're all just like trying to do like the same kind of thing. And avatar is so wonderful and demands so many different perspectives. Um, But yeah. And then Marilyn reached out and was like, Hey, do you want to do a podcast host exchange? And I was like, yes, this sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, what I said before when I was um, privately messaging you, like um, when you messaged me and you checked out my podcast, you had like such, you had like such amazing feedback, and I was like, oh my gosh, like that's amazing, thank you. And um, 
it is true, like, the Avatar fan base can be pretty, pretty ruthless sometimes, and... <laughs> Especially if it's, like, Zutara versus Katang, then, like... Oh, gosh. <laughs> it gets very brutal. <laughs> yeah, you got, like... You got, like, the 30-year-old women and men, and then you got, like, the 20-year-olds, and then you got, like, teens and straight out of high school, like, heavily debating on um, fictional relationships, and so it could get pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, so, basically, that's led us to uh, this podcast tonight, and uh, tonight we're going to be uh, talking all about uh, just kind of non-benders um we're going to be focusing mainly on combatants but we're also going to be you know also talking about some of the other non-benders um specifically in avatar the last airbender um and we're just going to be talking about what it's like for these characters navigating a world filled with benders um, their roles in kind of like a mixed combat and the importance of their representation um so kind of without further ado i i wanted to first start off with um, focusing on what I call kind of like the specialists. And these are the specific characters that are like major characters or at least like minor characters with like a good deal of screen time um, in the series and their kind of impact. Um, it, and I think the first one we have to talk about, of course, is Sokka. I mean, he... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, it's like, again, we, we start off like the whole series with, you know, we get to see the magic of water bending with Katara in the very first scene. But then we also we get to see Sokka just on the butt end of that, getting soaked <laughs> with like, the water in that first like scene in the first episode. But I mean, I, I guess what what were some of your thoughts and especially like kind of knowing the series as a whole, like what was it like for you to kind of see a character like Sokka in the group of the gang who obviously are like these incredible benders, uh, Aang, Katara, and Toph? Rewatching the series for my podcast too has really made me realize that all of these kids, like in our minds with years passing by, like we always, when we recall and think about their character in our minds, like, they have always been these powerful benders, these powerful allies. And rewatching season one, like, that wasn't the case. That, <laughs> like, you see Katara and, oh my gosh, season one Katara compared to season three Katara. <laughs> so fucking, different. Can I cuss in this podcast? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking insane. And then, um, it's interesting because, Sokka kind of mirrors um, Katara's journey, too. Like, in the first two episodes, you see how, like, when he uses his boomerang, it's kind of a hit or miss. Like, it's 50-50. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he just throws it. He just chucks his boomerang and hopes that it'll come back. And then it does, and it hits Zuko. But <laughs> I don't know. Like, um, season one Sokka, it's just all luck. And then once season three Sokka comes... He he actually like he is a powerful foe and it's so amazing to just watch Sokka's growth too. Like um while Katara's growing, Sokka is growing as equally. Mm. I, I think that's a great point too, because I mean so much of Sokka's strength 
um, is always kind of his like his planning and his like clever ideas. That really is what he seems to be leaning on, especially in the earlier parts of the series, because I mean, he didn't he grew up in the Southern Water Tribe and they didn't really deal with a lot of invasions or anything. And so much he had this heightened sense of like what war and combat were like. But you very quickly got the sense that like he had no idea like what it was actually about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, obviously you know, I want to kind of talk a little bit about like his different use of like the weapons that he uses. Um, and again, it's like. If you don't have bending, where are your resources? And again, we kind of talked about Sokka's cleverness and his like planning and all of that. But I I always loved kind of the different uh, his kind of arsenal that he takes with him. Uh, he takes with him over the course of the series. Uh, and of course, the first one is a bladed boomerang. Um, and you kind of brought that up with, you know, he flings that at Zuko, and it's it's such a fun. Uh, just weapon choice for them to use, especially because, I mean, Water Tribe is heavily influenced by Inuit culture and the boomerang is something that is very traditional with like indigenous Australians. So it's it's kind of like blending those worlds and like Mike and Brian just having a really fun time with like, yeah, why not? Let's bring in a boomerang to this because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's go for it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think Osaka's choice of weapon as a boomerang, I think just reflects perfectly on his personality because a boomerang is unpredictable and you could say is kind of silly. Like you, <laughs> you see it going one way and then if you get distracted, like it, it bites you in the butt later <laughs> and <laughs> like, and it completely mirrors Sokka's personality too because he throws all of these sarcastic insults at people and sometimes they backfire like same with the use of a boomerang sometimes it backfires on you but when it lands oh my gosh it hurts and <laughs> <laughs> like um oh man there's so many instances where Sokka just pokes at everyone's insecurities because he just tries to because he has insecurities in himself too mm -hmm. and that's just his way of coping and when he does like when his jokes do land it hurts <laughs> and <laughs> ang and katara are so annoyed yeah well it really makes me think of uh in the fortune teller when she's like it's like i don't need to read your palm it's written all over your face your life is filled with pain and struggle, all or mostly all self-inflicted. And then, like, he goes outside, kicks the pebble, like, or something, and it, like, rebounds off the sign, hits the duck, and then it just, like, starts chasing after him and biting him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, karma is really real with Sokka. It's so sad, and yet, oh, man, it's <laughs> it's amazing at the same time. <laughs> So uh, the other two uh, types of weapons he uses in the like first and second season are uh, he uses like this like club and a machete. They're both seemingly carved out of whalebone, um, which again is it's such a great little detail of the you know showing the resourcefulness and kind of the tradition of like the Southern Water Tribe and just the water tribes in general in pulling from that inspiration of Inuit culture and. It's I love that they kind of gave him that because they're very unique, different 
weapons. And I mean, it's a great way to make your character stand out. And it was, I thought it was just such a, a great choice by Mike and Brian with, you know, making those, the, choosing those weapons versus just giving him something more generic or, I mean, just everything about all of his weapons and what he brings to the table. Like you said, it feels very Sokka. It feels very unique and unpredictable in a way. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember, um, with the with the club and machete, it was only in season one where he used it, right? Um, I am not a hundred percent sure. I don't know if he. I feel like he might have used it into season two, but I'm not sure. Yeah, um, because I remember in season one, episode two, the Avatar returns. Like he uses the club against, um, or no, it was a spear. He uses a spear against Zuko, and Zuko breaks it in half like it's a toothpick. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's just he he uses these weapons and it's it's very much a part of his resourcefulness but it isn't what uh sokka is at his core i feel like if there is something that is more of who sokka is it's more of the boomerang but even then he he kind of like mixes everything up um but of course as you said he grows as a character and then when we get to uh book three that's when he gets the space sword um and that wonderful episode of uh, Sokka's master and he's learning from Pian Dao um and the the sword it's based off of a uh, Chinese sword called um a Jian and I apologize if I am butchering this pronunciation I feel like I always do if there's anything like that um but it, it like the particular style of it is meant for like a really kind of sense of a balanced combat um, it's got two ed- uh, two edges instead of just like a single sided edge like Suko's broadsword, um, so that you can use it for a variety of ways with deflections and the combat is versatile. So you can you don't have to worry about keeping one particular side facing an opponent or anything like that. You can use it very quickly as we see that he does in his training. Um, but I don't know what was it like for you when you kind of like saw that episode. Um, in seeing him grow from someone who is using kind of these sillier, you know, not as like, or different kind of like weapons to something that was more like, I want to find a better word than mainstream and not sound like a hipster, but like, (laughs) you get what I'm saying that it's just like, like a more, uh, like recognized weapon, like a sword. Sokka transitioning from boomerang to sword. Is that your question? Yeah. And just like him kind of taking that like that jump in his journey as kind of a warrior and moving on to a sword. His choice of weapon, it reflects who he is. Because season three Sokka is way different than season one Sokka. Even after meeting Suki in episode four, and like you jump ahead a couple of episodes, like his character growth drastically changed. And when he does reach that point where he is able to... um. I know, I can't believe you forgot Suki. I know. <laughs> I just added Suki to the list. I'm like, how did I forget to add her to this list? My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let that slide, Colin, okay? <laughs> like, I really shouldn't say Sokka's growth because <laughs> we're going to say it, like, throughout the whole podcast. And But his growth, oh, my God. When he does finally get his sword, you see where he started and where he is now like he knows he 
throughout the whole show, he's he's learned from his mistakes. Like, there are consequences to everything that he does. And it's not heavy-fisted, but we do see it in, like, um, how the show uses him as comedic relief. Like, everything he does, everything he says, it just backfires. And it's to our enjoyment, like, shot and fraud. Like, we see him suffer mm-hmm. from, <laughs> from a stupid joke or from a stupid comment. Or just, like, him being a non-bender. Like, the show throws everything, like, all of this shit at Sokka. And he just takes it and he rebounds from it. And that's what made him stronger. And so that's how he is able to like go toe to toe with these benders because he's had to like acclimatize and use his own personality and his way of thinking to to challenge these foes and it's really great to see like how creative he can be and once he does sorry I like digress from the sword but once he meets um Pian Dao like even when he does do all the training and Pian Dao like presents him with the sword in his mind he's still like he all of his insecurities leading up to this episode is still there and he says he's not worthy mm-hmm. and and then Pian Dao he sees that and you see like he's mad and disappointed but then and then he full on starts attacking Sokka <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and it's very um uh, it's very boomy now that I think about it. Like, <laughs> boomy just, like, the way these kids learn to, like, appreciate their self-worth and accept, like, their growth and accomplishments is to physically, like, show it in front of them. Like, you can fight against a master. I am fighting against you, and you are using the sword, and you bested me. Like, if that doesn't show that you're worthy of the sword, then, like, I can't do anything else because it's up to you to, like, accept that you are good enough. And so Mm. that episode was so great because Sokka finally, like, in his eyes, like, throughout the whole show, like, he's always been insecure about, like, if he's ready to be a man of the Water Tribe, if he's good enough in his father's eyes, like, in Katara's eyes and Suki's eyes. And then finally, um, when he does get that sword, like, he is good enough in his own eyes. And it's so powerful. Mm. Yeah, and I I love that you brought up the point, too, about, like, his... About the fact that the show does, like, throw much... Like, throws so much shit on him. And, like, I love that episode in particular because it really... It's him, like, coming face-to-face with that. And, like, you know, we see him... He is so confident throughout the series, like and in, in a lot of like battle situations, like he has his insecurities, but like for the most part, he's putting on this like, like you know, a strong face and like always trying to be the leader, always trying to kind of keep pushing forward. But we see this moment of vulnerability from him, and he is just like, after witnessing them like deal with this meteor that crashes to Earth, and he's like, "You're all such powerful benders," and I'm just a guy with like a sword and it's this like really poignant moment because it's like he's been, it took him until season three for him to actually like feel comfortable to bring that up because you know that like he, that that was like a deep seated issue for him, but it wasn't anything that he necessarily 
brought up beforehand. And again, it's like he conquers that through his training with Pian Dao. And I, I know, I remember when that episode came out, there were some people on our forum were like, I can't believe he learned how to do that so fast. And I was just like, <laughs> can you though? Because like he has experience. I mean, he's fought in like so many battles up to this point. He's used a variety of different weapons. And it's like that general knowledge is going to translate over. It's the idea of like universal truth that if there's something that works in one system, it's going to work in the other. And it's just finding a way to adapt that. And Sokka is clearly extremely adaptable because that's what's enabled him to be so successful against benders throughout this entire journey that they've been like all fighting together. Right. Yeah. And I could see fans not believing in Sokka's growth as a warrior because like I don't know if this is the case for you but when um when I rewatch episodes like I'm going frame by frame like mm. kind of every five seconds pausing and just thinking about um what I watched and writing it down while I'm recapping for my podcast and so I'm kind of in the same mindset as these animators that literally draw frame by frame like all of Sokka's movements, all of his swings, all of his hits. And so when it does get to the sword episode, like there's, it's crazy. Like there's the main plot with the comet, but there's also kind of, um, and the journey of the characters leading up to the comet. There's also a side journey with their powers too, or their ability to fight. Mm. And where plot, um, where plot and dialogue coincide, when you watch the action scenes and if you watch every like fire throw or or air kick, like it does build to the point where these kids, like this this twelve year old boy, these this fourteen year old girl, and Sokka, the sixteen year old teenager, is powerful enough to go against all of these adults in the season finale. And it's and it's well earned too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like they're they're such a they're such an incredible like group of individuals on their own. But so much of their growth came from the fact that they are all running against this intensive deadline, and they know that they. It's like it's like when you're working on like a group project for like school or something and you're like okay we're either gonna sink or swim here and it's like either your group like all gets together and it's just like we all like come out with a presentation that is amazing and killer or it's like (laughs) one person tries to like you know carry the team and then it usually comes out like half-assed and you're like oh god that was rough (laughs) yeah (laughs) like these kids were basically at war for six months every day their their life is on the line so like, of course, everything is heightened. Everything is, is much, um, their character growth is much faster and, and you see it reflecting in like their, their relationships with one another too. Like, I think, I think in, I mean, right off the bat in the first episode, like Katara and Sokka kind of accept Aang into the family right away. Like mm-hmm. after finding out that like, oh shit, like he is on his own. And so there is like, um, 
Oh man, it's uh, sorry. It's just so great. (laughs) (laughs) I I I know I know the feelings. Trust me. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the overall point for this is like I think that there is um, when there is a a group together, there is something that enables intensive growth, but also just great coordinated success. Um, which I think is a perfect segue into kind of the next character on our list, and that's May. Um, and again, we 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 actually we just talked about uh, our last episode. We did uh, Return to Omashu, and we were kind of talking about you know May, Tylee, and Azula, and this like kind of group together, and how they're incredibly talented individuals. But it's this idea of like all three of them together and how lethal that is. Um, and and first, I want to kind of talk about May, uh, who again to kind of get into her weapons. Uh, show she uses um, what I referred to in the last episode as darts, but I did some more research and apparently <laughs> they're referred to as arrow-like stilettos, um, oh. which is like you know she's got them like spring-loaded in a like wrist com- compartment there and she can just like toss them out and i love the idea that they're called stilettos because all i saw when i thought it was like she's just like throwing like stiletto shoes like at people <laughs> just like die <laughs> <laughs> um and then of course she's got uh the, her throwing knives um they're single and double blades uh primarily used for throwing or for close combat as well um and the last weapon that she uses, very, uh, not a lot, but um, she does for close ki- uh, close counter situations, it's the Psy. Um, and what's really cool is that this one in particular that she has, the horizontal blades are retractable. And the main thing I wanted to kind of like bring about the, the you know, talk about with these weapons is that it, she's kind of like a little bit of like Batman in like this avatar world in terms of like these gadgets and everything. (laughs) And like having this, like she's like throwing stuff out of nowhere. She's got like these long sleeves and like the long robe. And it's like, where's all this stuff coming from? (laughs) It's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And um, I know we're focusing on May right now, but I just thought about, I just thought about their, their group dynamic too. And combined May, Tylee, and Azula, um, when combined, they're like the deadliest femme fatale character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you got Tylee that's like a complete hottie and knows, I don't know, uses body language to get what, to, um, attract males, but then there's her <laughs> chi blocking, um, you Which got- is to block those males who get too close <laughs> and shut them down and make them go limp. <laughs> Yeah, you <laughs> you got May where she doesn't give a shit at all and you don't know what she's thinking. You can't read her mind, but but when she does sh- uh physically show how she feels, it's deadly mm. by her throwing her arrow-like stilettos. <laughs> <laughs> and then um and then you got Azula, which is kind of like the worst kind of femme fatale where she is manipulative. And, um, like you, you should never cross her. (laughs) And when you do, um, you're going to lose. And it's just like all three of them together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I remember there was, uh, in like the old, like forum, they, like people, uh, they referred to them sometimes as Ozai's angels (laughs) as like a play on Charlie's angels. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
but yeah, so I I I, I do want because like I, I do want to get back to May and this idea of like her, you know, having these incredible weapons and like technology, and I I think it's also a product because obviously we see that she is living a pretty privileged life um, because you know she when we first meet her at return to Omashu, you know, her mom's just like, your father's been appointed governor. Like we have all of this. And like her uncle is like the warden of the boiling rock. Like clearly her family has connections. They are doing very well in the fire nation. And I think it just goes to show it's just like, you know, whatever money may have been thrown her way that maybe she wanted to, you know, toss in for, you know, people are like, oh, here, why don't you, you know, maybe buy some like happier clothes or something? And she's like, I'm going to spend this on like some badass weapons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very Batman of her. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I, I wanted to kind of ask you in terms of because um, one of the things we had brought up in our last episode was this idea of, you know, May being this uh she's kind of a trope of a character, but definitely more complex of the kind of like disenchanted teenager who is just fed up with it all. Um, And I just wanted to get your thoughts on the importance of representation of a character who isn't a bender with that kind of personality in this show. And what, I don't know, what was it like? Did her character resonate with you at all when you watched it and, or did it clash with like who you were as a person? Well, just listening to you, talk about May and her privileged life it makes me wonder because um because I recently watched um like doing research on on coming into your podcast I rewatched Return to Amashu and I noticed the age gap between May and Tom Tom and it made me wonder like I don't know if if this is confirmed or if they don't really go into it but I have a feeling that Tom Tom's mom isn't her mom. And I have a feeling like I don't I might be talking out of my ass, but I feel like that's not May's mom. And it it could explain why May is the way she is, like her father remarried mm. and um and like she learned that maybe her father is so distracted by like his new wife, his new kid his job that, like, whatever May does, like, she learned a long time ago, whatever she does, they don't give a shit. So that's mm. why, like, it reflects on, like, the weapon, her weapon of choice. Like, she throws these things, and she doesn't know if it's gonna hit. She just throws it. And, um, and then you see her just kind of fascinated if it's gonna hit or not. And her response to that, like, she's impressed when, um, Katara's able to, dodge her her throws and so she's like okay wow like Mm. she she can take what i dish out let me let me not hold back and so i think it's a way of may feeling free when she is with azula because Mm. azula's foes if azula is interested in like hunting the avatar like they are powerful enough to take on azula which means may is like, able to not hold back. Like, she, I feel like she's been so, rep- so repressed in her mm. home life, her privileged, her privileged life. And so when she is with Azula, she feels free. When she's battling the gang, like, she can literally just, like, let everything go and be as dangerous as she can be. And I feel like a part of her knows that 
she's not going to kill them, but... <laughs> yeah, it, and I mean, it makes sense with, like, where her character arc ends up. And, um, you know, especially to when it gets to that that breaking point with Azula when she says that, like, I care about Zuko more than I fear you. I think it's yeah. like, you know, again, she's going along with Azula during this whole time and, you know, through, uh, you know, taking over Bossing Say and all of that because it's exciting. But then I think she, like, is starting to finally, like, it's getting to that point where she sees that it's not healthy, that being, like, around Azula is incredibly toxic and yeah. that's because Azula just manipulates everyone around her. Um, but I, I love that you brought that up about like kind of your theory with like with May's father. And honestly, I think that that's pretty spot on because in um, I don't know if you've read uh, Smoke and Shadow yet. Uh, the comic, uh, one of the comics that comes after um, or even the promise uh, May breaks up with Zuko after um after the series in the comics and it is oh. her just being like kind of they eventually do get back together but like she breaks up with him when he is like he isn't communicating with her he's not like being present and not like he, he's just not at the bare bones communicating with her and she just is like okay i'm done with you like we're not i'm not doing this anymore and i think you know that comes from I think knowing or seeing like another woman being able to do that, because again, it's the same idea where if you are, if you are stuck in a toxic relate, or if you see like parents that are stuck in a like relationship and a toxic relationship that keeps going on and on, usually that cycle repeats with like the kids because that's the example that they grow up with and they know. And for May to have her mom like walk out and leave her dad, that makes perfect sense <laughs> to, to kind of connect that narrative thread, even though we don't know that for sure. But I, I love that theory. I love that headcanon. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, man. And I don't know if it's intentional, but the character, like the way these characters are written is very spot on. Like all of these kids have mommy or daddy issues. Mm. And it does play into effect about how they go on with their lives, like, what they do in the show and, like, where they end up. And it's... With May, she knows her limits and she knows when when should be the right time to stop. Like, mm. she ends her um, friendship with Azula. She ends her relationship with Zuko. Like, she knows when to stop. And so it is really cathartic to watch. Like, even though she does... She's kind of like this caricature character that doesn't give a shit she's like she's like a girl version of zuko like super angsty doesn't <laughs> <laughs> but um but like zuko she has feelings and um, i just love may <laughs> i really love how she's very self-aware even if she doesn't show her emotions mm. and it's it's great to watch yeah no and I, again like i said she's introduced as this like you know trope of a character but uh, again as with uh, pretty much any or most characters in the show go like mike and brian don't just leave them to be a singular note of a character everyone is way more complex and uh, they just bring that into all the characters that they do um 
And with that in mind, I want to transition next to our next specialist, which is uh, the next member of Ozai's Angels, uh, Ty Lee. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, with Ty Lee, um, she has the full suite of agility, parkour, and insane flexibility um, and balance. Uh, I mean, the again, we're seeing her do these insane like headstands and like handstands and everything in the first episode that we meet her. Um, and of course, her main uh, weapon of choice is or combat style of choice is chi blocking, um, which. It was, I mean, what a brilliant move for them to have a character like that in this show. Um, because, again, it, you have a world where not everyone can bend. And how do those people kind of exist in this world and the kind of inequalities that uh, arise from that? And without kind of getting into, you know, what happens with, like, Legend of Korra, I mean, there are clearly there's clearly modes of oppression that the fire nation uses um, with the people that they're oppressing over the course of the series, because fire is a bending type where you do not need the resource. It can just be um, like manifested and they can just use that at will. And I mean, it makes that ability to oppress them so easily, which is why when you bring in a character like Ty Lee, who can take that away someone who can level the playing field. I just, I remember when I first saw like her character and just going through this and we were talking in our podcast in our last episode that like Ty Lee is like so insanely powerful when you really think about like what she can do and like how precise all of her attacks are. But I don't know. What was it like for you? Uh, if you've like, you said you rewatched like kind of Return of Omashu, like revisiting that episode with Ty Lee and seeing her introduction again. You know what I just realized? May Ty Lee and Azula, the Ozai's angels, reminds me <laughs> reminds me a lot of um, Powerpuff Girls. You got May. That's um, uh, well, what's the green one's name? I forgot. Oh gosh, hold on, because you have. Blossom, Buttercup, and... Bubbles. <sighs> Bubbles, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so May is um, Buttercup, Tylee is Bubbles, and Azula is Blossom. Hmm. <laughs> and- <laughs> I can definitely see that. <laughs> yeah, and so you see Tylee, and your first impression is like, oh my god, she's so sweet. Like, she just wants to do her thing, fucking Azula pops out of nowhere, and is like, I'm going to ruin your life. Let yeah. me. And it's so great because um, it was actually really sweet. Like, you see Azula visiting her longtime friend she hasn't seen in a while that is traveling. And, like, they embrace, like, they hug. And there's this really sweet moment where Azula looks and appears to be human. Yeah, and- right? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it's, like, a really great reunion of friends and um even azula is like hey like do you want to join me on this mission and and ty lee is honest and she's like no like i i'm really happy here doing what i do um being a circus freak even in (laughs) azula's terms um and azula's like okay um i'm gonna catch a show and you see ty lee 
and like her her back is turned toward uh towards Azula, but you see her thinking like, oh shit. And she knows <laughs> yeah. exactly what Azula's gonna do, and she does it. And in her mind, or like when she does, um when Azula approaches her again and is like, Hey, <laughs> um, I loved your show last night. And and Tylee's like, actually the like the the galaxy is telling me that I should not do this anymore (laughs) (laughs) but that was like her polite way of saying like um i need to go with you or else i'm gonna you're gonna kill me (laughs) like i have no choice in this matter Mm. yeah and it's really great because ty lee resembles i think all of the mysteries of the world in in a sense like you got if she was in our time right now, she would be a total, like, horoscope freak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And be like, oh, he's moody because he's a Libra. And it's, mm. like, that time of, I don't know, that time of the the month or whatever, or the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then with her chi blocking, it reminds me a lot of, like, Chinese acupuncture. And mm. the mystery behind acupuncture as a whole, because it is so insanely powerful if you know how to do it, and it's so deadly if you like put if you put the needle in the wrong spot. Like, I think the concept of the nerves in humans' bodies are so it's hard to. I think it's hard to grasp mentally more than like the bones and the blood of um, of anatomy because if your nerves are whack, you're fucking screwed. Like, yeah. I don't know if, if this is the case for you, but when I was in track and field, like, if my nerves in my legs were shot, I couldn't do anything. Mm. And it's one of those things where you have to massage it out. And when you do, it's one of the most painful things in the world. You can't just like, I mean, you could take a pill like Tylenol and it'll numb it, but you have to like unweave it. It's kind of like the nerves in your body are like threads. And for Ty Lee to know how the nerves in your body work, it just, it's so fascinating. And it's really different from like May, like physically she throws her weapons and you can, like she's able to see her moves land. Like with Azula, it's immediate because it's firebending. But with Ty Lee, she, like, she's able to see through everyone. Well, I mean, it's it's the idea of like she has an understanding of like the human body and is able to adapt that to different types of like bodies. We're all built very differently. We kind of talked about that last episode, and the fact that she can adapt like that is is insane. And I, I was really reminded of this because um, after our podcast uh, the other night, we were kind of uh, just talking about like martial arts. Kristen also was like a Wing Chun practitioner. So we just started swapping stories. And I was thinking about it today. And um, at my old school, they had this chart and it was basically all the different pressure points in the body. And one of like the key like 10 tenets of Wing Chun is like use pressure points to heal and to harm. And it's this idea of like, if you, and I just, I heard these crazy stories like from my Sifu about his Sifu saying, there are certain points in the human body that if you strike them at a particular time of day, it can result in someone's death. Because it's just like punching, like I think he was like saying like 
a particular spot in the kidney at like 4 a.m. Because the body is so used to kind of like, you know, recharging and like doing like some kind of like process and everything. And like, it's this idea of like that stuff. It's like you can pinpoint those marks, but it's like you have to be so knowledgeable and you really have to have that deep, deep understanding um, of the human body. And I, and I think that that's also what's really cool about when Azula meets up with uh, Tai Lee at the circus and she says that line, she's like, surely, like, you know, our parents didn't send us to the Royal Fire Nation Academy, like, to end up here. And it's like, of course, that was where she learned all of this stuff. I mean, like, the the Fire Nation was at the peak of its, like, cultural and technological power at this point in, the, like, in Avatar world history. Of course, they're going to have all of that type of information. And they are sharing that with, like, you know... Like, basically, if it's the best university, they're going to have access to that information. And Tylee, clearly, even though she seems like this bubbly, like, character who is, like, you know, all about auras and everything like that, she's clearly very book smart. And she put in the time and effort to kind of learn all this stuff because there's no other way that she could have had that extensive knowledge and be able to do this with such precision. Yeah, and it's really fascinating to watch, like, the the different groups. And you got Tylee, May, and Azula, all who went to this academy and was very privileged with learning what they know. Um, and having, like, the mentors and all of the... Um, all of the materials they need to practice. Like, those... Those arrow-like stilettos and knives, like they, like you said, like she's Batman. Like these do not come cheap, as opposed to like Katara and Sokka, where Sokka has clubs made out of whale bone that are so fragile that Zuko can just, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. snap it. <laughs> and so there is like this, um, like when they um, when they finally fight against one another both are so different and both kind of equally match each other. It's really interesting to watch. Oh, it's like that great uh, exchange in uh, the chase uh, between uh, Sokka and Ty Lee. <laughs> like, he's avoiding her strikes and she's like, oh, it's like we're dancing. <laughs> it's like we're seeing Sokka's, like, his cleverness and his, like, agility and ability to evade and, like, Ty Lee, like, trying to still get, like, these attacks off. But it's like you're also getting the sense that like Tylee is also kind of like holding back a little bit because she's like enjoying just kind of like fucking with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of them, I like Tylee and May are just in it for the ride. It's Azula that's that has things on the line that mm. takes things seriously, and so I think May and Tylee balance Azula out perfectly mm. with like um like they are deadly. But they do know how to have a good time. And like you said, like um, with Tylee dancing, like they, they are performing. It's kind of like they haven't performed in a long time. And so it feels nice to finally um, have that creative outlet for them to just be themselves doing what they, doing what they do and, and how good they are at doing what they do. And so. 
Yeah, and having <laughs> having like adversaries that are equally, if not more, competent than they are. And I think that that's why they love the thrill of this chase of Ang and the gang. Is you know, <laughs> it's like they <laughs> like Ang is like what a great challenge for both of them because he can just evade and like do all of this stuff that is like forcing them to come up with more creative solutions. Um, but with that, I want to I want to keep things moving and I want to move on to our next specialist. And uh, well, this one won't be nearly as long, but I still wanted to touch up because I I love this character and that's June the bounty hunter. Um, we don't we don't see much of her, uh, but what we do see is fantastic. Um, of course, we see her for the first time. Uh, I believe is it Bato of the Water Tribe, or is that? Or no, I can't remember. I think you're right. Yeah, Bato. yeah, Bato. So, um, and we see that uh, she um, is very proficient with a whip. Um, she also has uh, what I've <laughs> noted in the outline is animal mastery, um, because she has that crazy sheer shoe uh, Nyla that she like rides around and is able to control. Um, and then, of course, we see later in the series uh, when they like. Uh, go for the series finale and they're going to go like find her in the, and I think they when they do see her or when Zuko does see her in the bar originally, she is like wrecking a dude at like an arm wrestling contest. And she's like <laughs> beating the crap out of people. Like she's clearly a very skilled martial artist and great with hand to hand combat. Um, and it's this idea of here is someone who isn't a bender, who is thriving in a community that has all of these kind of like power players in, in and around. And like what I can't help but think of is a character kind of like almost like Boba Fett. Like, you know, he's dealing in a world with like Sith and Jedi and like, you know, like all of these like different, like, you know, rebellion and the empire. And it's like, he's just, he's found a way to be able to still make a living off of it and make a profit all of it. And June is just like, Hey, I'll take your coin. And, uh, you know, it's like still, still working it, <laughs> but I don't yeah. know. I mean, like what, what were your, what are some of your thoughts on like June as a character and like her, I guess the choice of like having her be this character that isn't a bender and instead someone who is not. I think throwing June into the mix with her animal companion kind of like refreshes the idea of animal companions. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of another character that does have an animal companion. You got you got Aang with Appa, um, and then you see Roku with his dragon, but that was in the past. Well, the Earth King with Bosco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not really much of a combatant at all. <laughs> Neither of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so you do see June with, um, what's the creature's name? Uh, Nyla. Yeah, so you see June with Nyla and how Nyla is so dangerous. And mm. like from from a first glance, Nyla is kind of seen as a monster. Like like her tongue is able to paralyze you and she's able to um like she's the best tracker in the world and she's able to see she's it's kind of reminiscent of Toph where like Nyla's blind but she is able to see through scent mm. or or maybe Nyla does have eyes or and the scent 
don't know, her, um, her able to, to sniff a scent and track it is, is a completely different thing. But, um, but yeah, just that bond, I think is fascinating. And, um, and then you kind of start liking Nyla by how you see June interacting with it too, mm. because it's that that the whole concept of like Pokemon, like our yes, like, <laughs> 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 like there's no evil Pokemon; it's the masters. And so, um, I mean, you can compare it to bending too. Like fire bending can be beautiful, and you see it with like the sun warriors and how they harness firebending and it's the com- complete opposite with Ozai and his firebending mm. and so um I just love Nyla <laughs> June <laughs> and Nyla are so cute together <laughs> that's such a great point too I mean like again it's it's uh it's this idea of taking like uh, something a character or a creature that we would think would be dangerous or a monster and showing that they can still have a connection and at, like giving us that different perspective. And that's what I feel like. I mean, Avatar does so well is that it will take a character or something that we think is dangerous or evil or something like that. And we'll still see things from their perspective. I mean, even with Azula being a crazy manipulative evil, like, you know, girl that she is like, we still, get a glimpse at like in the episode of the beach of like how she felt like she never connected with her mother. And it's like they, they they will not shy away from humanizing or just empathizing with these specific types of characters. And I absolutely love that. I'm so glad you brought that up with June too. Um, And and of course, again, the idea of her being a bounty hunter. uh, I mean, she is, you know, it's wartime and I mean, she is clearly probably running both sides of the gamut and both sides of the coin, uh, you know, getting work for hire because, you know, it's wartime. And that means there's people who are looking to find people. And if they've got the coin, she'll do the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's really great how all of all of the characters, minus Sokka, that we've mentioned so far, like these non-bender women are so mm. powerful. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, we were talking about that in our last episode too, that just, um, I mean, what sets this show apart and I think why so many people really connected with it was because it gave us strong female characters in a time where, I mean, it, frankly, animation, it was just not doing um, I mean, like in the mid two thousands, like we, there were some shows I would say like in the nineties that did get, did have some strong female characters, but strong female complex characters is, is like what Avatar really excelled at. And even though, again, June's not a major character, she shows up in like two episodes, but she's incredibly memorable, dynamic and has like many different sides to her. She's a fierce warrior, a great tracker, this like fearless bounty hunter, but also she loves her sheer shoe. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's they're just well-rounded and not one dimensional. And I think it's so great when she's like, so you want me to find your girlfriend? And Zuko's like, <laughs> it's not my girlfriend. And then when he, when she comes back, um, towards the season finale or the series finale <laughs> and Katara's right next to Zuko and she's like I see you found your girlfriend 
<laughs> and so great. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, like, and I think it's also like it's it's a great little uh, parallel between her and Nyla. It's like she she's got a quick tongue because she will just like have those little digs that come yes. out of, like and, like out of nowhere, and it's like that's the type of person that I feel like you have to be if you're a bounty hunter, especially if like you're a woman as a bounty hunter. It's just like you have to you have to fight against like just like a male like patriarchy that is going to be like even more oppressive towards you. You've got to not only be incredibly skilled, but incredibly like you know quick with like your thinking and your like responses and everything. And we definitely see that with her. And you mentioned Boba Fett. I, I think of her more as like a Han Solo. Like she's very, mm. very smooth with her words and you don't know which side she's on if she has the side. Hmm. And then you got Chewbacca and Nyla. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. Thanks so much guys for listening to uh, this episode, uh, which is of course part one. And uh, we are so thrilled to have Marilyn on uh, as a guest, and we are so pumped to talk more about this in part two, which again will be released one week from today. Um, So we are going to be starting off next week talking about Suki, uh, who I promise I didn't forget, and uh, we're going to be just continuing that on, so be sure to look out that for your feed. And remember, you can find us on social media at uh, Portalcast Pod on Twitter, Legend of Portalcast on Facebook and Instagram, and you can also find us at legendofportalcast.com. Um, so we are also now officially on Spotify, so if you prefer Spotify to Apple Podcasts or listening to it on the website, uh, be sure to subscribe to us there, and uh, feel free to leave a rating and review to uh, help us out. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we're so pumped, and since I didn't get to have it for the end of this episode, let us leave. <laughs>